Hong Kong flu in 1968. It came from China. China didn't tell us they had a raging epidemic of a new flu. It came to Hong Kong. Then the world learned about it. If they have another pandemic in China, the only thing we can be sure of is they will not tell us about it until it has become a global pandemic. Hello and welcome to this special episode of the John Henry Weston Show, where we are going to be going into a whole series of interviews and special presentations regarding human rights abuses in China, regarding the Olympics that are going on right now in that country, despite their massive abuse of human rights. With us today is one of the real pioneers in not only discovering, but exposing the human rights abuses in China, particularly the one-child policy that was absolutely so horrendous. You're going to meet Stephen Mosher. You're going to want to stay tuned. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy ghost. Amen. Steve Mosher, welcome to the program. Oh, it's good to be here again, John Henry. You have just re-released your book bully of Asia. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, let me say I've, I've been watching China now for 45 years, which is to say two thirds of my lifetime. I Resigned my commission in the U.S. Navy back in the 1970s. I went to the Chinese University of Hong Kong to study Chinese. I speak at read and write Chinese, Mandarin, Cantonese, and, and some Taiwanese, actually, because I've studied in all three Chinese areas. And I went to Stanford. I was selected to be the first American social scientist on the ground in China back in, uh, I was there in March of 1989, uh, very early on. So I've been watching uh, with a, with a, uh, Increasingly, John Destai, uh, the misdeeds of the Chinese Communist Party for a long time now going on, as I say, uh, a half century. And as I as the time has gone by, I've grown increasingly concerned on uh, any number of fronts. That's why I wrote the book Bully of Asia. And of course, the subtitle is uh, China's why China's dream is the new threat to world order. It's a threat because they want to fundamentally overturn the existing world order and replace it with something very, very different, very much darker, and, and very inimical to uh, liberty, freedom of conscience, freedom of association, all the freedoms that we hold dear. What an incredibly interesting take you have with regard to what's going on in China, because we see this sort of movement throughout the whole wide world toward communism, a communism that's first seen in China. Tell us a little bit about that, your early writings on LifeSite, actually, about the Chinese origin, uh, or the origin of the uh, virus, as we now know it as COVID-19, and how you came to that, and now that you've been proved correct. It's been a, an interesting two years for all of us, I think. Interesting in the Chinese sense. Of, of there, there is an ancient Chinese curse which goes, may you live in interesting times. And the last two years uh, have been interesting times in that sense. We've all gone through a kind of uh, a COVID purgatory, if not COVID hell, losing relatives, friends, uh, getting sick ourselves, losing businesses, um, unemployment rates skyrocketing, being quarantined, masked, uh, prevented from uh, sending our children to school. I mean, the list of the list of uh, human rights abuses that have been that have resulted from the pandemic is almost endless as well. So early on, uh, being being uh, a critic of China, being someone who has seen 
human rights abuses up close and personal. I was obviously concerned that this had come from a laboratory. So I began looking into the question uh, way back in, in December of 2019, when, when the pandemic was only a small cloud on the horizon, uh, I was getting reports out of China uh, of a new epidemic breaking out. And by the end of January, I was convinced that it had come from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And, you know, I have a background, John Henry. I have an advanced degree in bi biological sciences. I've worked in genetics before. It was a long time ago, but, but you know, that, that knowledge stays with you. And so I began to look at, at the studies of the novel coronavirus, as we were calling it then. The World Health Organization calls it SARS-CoV-2 because there was a SARS-1, right, back in 2003. And the interesting thing about SARS-1 is the Chinese Communist Party lied about that, too. They hid it for as long as they could. Uh, they didn't tell the world that a snake seller who was selling snakes on the open market in the southern city of, uh, of uh, Guangzhou had become seriously ill with a new virus. Uh, this was a virus that had killed 12 percent of the people it infected, very much more deadly uh, than the current uh, serious flu that we're experiencing. And uh, the Chinese Communist Party hid it for as long as they, they, they could. So I was, I was worried that they were hiding something this time, perhaps with the help of the World Health Organization. And it turned out, yes, they were. Because if you look at the structure of the virus itself, it has unusual insertions, which you never see in a natural coronavirus. I can't say that often enough. This is the smoking gun. This is the evidence embedded in the genome itself uh, that tells you that this could not have come from nature, that this was artificially created in a lab. So given that, and given the fact that they had the technology at the Wuhan Institute of Virology to do this, and given, astonishingly enough, that we had actually handed over that technology over the last few years, thanks to Dr. Anthony Fauci and his cutout, uh, Richard uh, uh, Dezek uh, of the of EcoHealth Alliance, we were funding and training the scientists at the Wuhan Institute of Virology in this dangerous gain-of-function research to make existing coronaviruses more infectious and more deadly. And we didn't know at the same time that the People's Liberation Army, at least since 2017, had been involved in doing the same thing, taking gain-of-function research uh, making viruses more deadly and more infectious, but not to advance the frontiers of scientific knowledge. No, they were doing it to create weapons, bioweapons. And so in February, of, by February of 2020, I had concluded and wrote on a LifeSite News and other places that, yes, this came from the lab. All roads led to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. All roads led to it have been a product of the lab. Uh, all roads led to the fact that China, when it had an epidemic on its hands, decided to spread it throughout the world. So one of the reasons why I decided to update Bully of Asia, because of this striking new information, and, and everything that we've learned since then about the dissembling of uh, Peter Daszak and, uh, and Anthony Fauci early on, about the fact that they conspired together in February of 2020 to say that those of us, like myself, who were saying it came from the lab, were nothing more than conspiracy theorists. They were the ones who launched a conspiracy, John Henry. It was a conspiracy against the truth. 
It was a conspiracy against the truth coming out about their funding and their support of the research and the Wuhan Institute of Virology that was taken by the Chinese Communist Party and used to cause millions of deaths and trillions of dollars in economic damage uh, around the world that we're still that we're still recovering from uh, in 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 uh, in our countries. Steve, you've got a very neat perspective because you have an advantage on most of the world because you're able to speak and read these Chinese languages. You found evidence for uh, what you postulated even months before anybody else regarding the the origin of this virus in in, in the lab. Um, you were able to not only read the publications from China and the studies from China. You have a history also of discovering things in China. I know many people, perhaps older people in the pro-life movement, know your story about how you actually discovered the one-child policy in China and what your discoveries did to basically defund a lot of China from getting money from the United States because of the discoveries you made. Do you mind telling us that story just in a very short so uh, people can get an appreciation of your involvement with China and how significant it's been? I went to China in March of 1979. I was the first American social scientist on the ground. I was in China for over a year, and I made lots of friends in the Chinese commune I was living in. I was also able to get rid of my communist minders who were sent after me to follow me and uh, watch everything I did and said and, uh, and monitor everyone I talked to. I was able to get rid of them by the simple expedient, John Henry, of not paying them. They expected to be paid. And I said, no, I, I can speak, read and write Chinese. I don't need your minding, your interpretation, your eavesdropping, your spying. I didn't, I didn't say those words. So I began, I made lots of friends on the local level, and they began to tell me, of course, the story of their lives. And it was not a happy story under the misrule of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, many people had been killed. Other people had been starved. Their land had been taken away from them. Uh, they referred to uh, the Communist Party as the big landlord <laughs> because the big landlord was, was exploiting them. They knew that quite clearly. And then the one-child policy began. And I remember... Uh, clearly, in March 8th of 1980, the local Communist Party secretary, who had also become a friend of mine, brought over a directive from the Communist Party saying that the population of Guangdong province, where I was studying, that's a province adjacent to Hong Kong, was growing too rapidly. And, and so the population had to be capped at 1%. And they went around house to house and surveyed the village and, and found out which women were pregnant with second and third and fourth children. And all of those women were told they must have abortions. Those who refused were, were arrested for the crime of being pregnant. I actually have arrest warrants where uh, in the block where you write the crime that's, that the person's being arrested for is written the word pregnant. So they were taken uh, to the local seat of government. I went with them. Uh, they were harangued and threatened for days and weeks until one by one, they all, with their wills broken, these young pregnant women, these young pregnant moms, uh, were taken, sometimes by force, uh, to the local clinic where they were aborted. They were forced to lay down on the operating table. They were given lethal injections into their wombs to kill their unborn children. They were given, if they were very late in pregnancy, they were given cesarean sections, cesarean sections. They were literally cut open to, to remove their now uh, dead or dying babies. I was in the operating room, John Henry, when this was going on. 
I saw the forced abortions. I saw the tears. I heard the moans and cries of the women. I saw the forced sterilizations that followed, the broken hearts. And it was, of course, as if the pit of hell had opened up before me. This was an absolute evil and that I could never imagine any human being committing on another human being. It went on for 36 long years. It resulted in the deaths of 400 million unborn and newborn children in China. And over the course of that four decades, I fought not only to reveal what was actually happening in China, because there were many people in the West who denied that, that, that forced abortions were happening. And there were others who applauded, believe it or not, John Henry, because they said, well, China's overpopulated. What else can they do? Well, yeah, they can, they can overthrow the Chinese Communist Party, restore freedom, and then there would be enough uh, economic, free, uh, economic advance for everyone to be better off uh, without having to carry around the, the, the 92 million members of the Communist Party who produce nothing except tyranny and are a dead weight on the rest of the Chinese people. So fought this battle in Washington, D.C. We were able to cut the funding to the U.N. Population Fund. We had no funding going to China directly, but we did have money going to the U.N. Population Fund, which in turn was giving $50 million a year to China to support its one-child policy. We cut off that money under President Reagan. We kept the cutoff in place under Bush 1. Uh, we fought hard under Clinton, got some advances, but he wanted to fund population control, so the spigot was turned on again. We cut it off under Bush, and boy, did we have success from 2016 to 2020 when we cut off population control spending uh, almost across the board. We stopped funding of abortion. So this has been a decades-long battle uh, that began with my experience in China when I saw two things, really. One, the, the brutality that the Chinese Communist Party was capable of and is still committing today against the Uyghur minority in the far West at the same time that they've decided they have too few children in China and they're encouraging the Han Chinese to have two and three children. They're forcibly aborting and sterilizing their minorities because they think they, they have too many children. They want, they want to extinguish the minorities forever. That's why we call it genocide. Uh, this meets the technical definition of genocide in the Genocide Convention. Forced abortion and sterilization is a crime against humanity. So they're still doing it. So that's my story, John Henry, in a nutshell. So I've been following China for a long time, written a dozen books about China, including, of course, uh, the latest one we've been talking about, Bully of Asia. Absolutely incredible. You were accused of it being a conspiracy theory back then. History is repeating itself and you're seeing it again. You're proved right the first time and it cost China, thanks be to God, and, and helped the women and children in China. And God willing, you'll be, you know, this will be validated again and the world will benefit from seeing China. I wanted to get to an important remark that you made about in, in the beginning of the show about how China's vision and what they're hoping for the world, what they're creating in their own land, hoping to export to the whole wide world. What do you see? Because I think that provides a fascinating look at what we're experiencing, what we're going toward in the world today. People are calling it the Great Reset, whatever you want to call it. But what's what's that vision there? Well, the Great Reset is in one sense, certainly as a China hand, I see it this way, of taking the Chinese model of a high-tech digital dictatorship and imposing it on the rest of the world. And the imposition would not be done directly by the Chinese Communist Party, but that would be used as a model 
by the oligarchs who now think that because they have a lot of money that they are 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 able to to ride the rest of us you know as uh, and turn the rest of us into serfs and slaves and do their bidding forever while all while being constantly monitored and surveilled and spied on by artificial intelligence and 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 by other high tech means uh that's a model that was first developed in china they call it in china uh their social credit system it's actually more uh, like a political credit system because the chinese communist party monitors everybody in real time using surveillance cameras and artificial intelligence and they know where everybody goes what they spend their money on who they talk to what they say on social media and from those interactions they calculate a political credit score for everybody and if your political credit score is high because why because you say nice things about the new red emperor xi jinping because you download the xi jinping app and every day study xi jinping religiously for 30 minutes and answer the questions about the study session correctly uh if you say nice things about the chinese communist party and if you don't associate with people with critical views then your political credit score goes up and you can fly on a plane from one chinese city to another you can even perhaps get a passport with an exit visa to travel outside of china uh you're given uh better rates on uh, interest rates on loans to buy a home or an apartment or a car on the other hand on the other hand if you associate with people who are critical of the regime if you say on social media critical things and have to be censored uh you're not allowed to fly even within china you're not allowed to leave the country in fact you can't even take the high speed rail you have to if you want to go from beijing to shanghai you take the uh the the third class rail line that that stops at every podunk town between shanghai and beijing it takes a couple of days to get there uh interest rates for loans and apartments are high if you get one at all to get a loan at all and you know if your political credit score goes down too low you get a visit from public security forces and they arrest you preemptively because you may be already committing a thought crime and you may commit a real crime in the future so they better reeducate you now so yeah it's a terrifying dark orwellian you know it doesn't begin to describe it i mean because uh, sure they were watching in george orwell's 1984 through the television screen uh it's a lot worse now they're watching through surveillance cameras they're watching through the smartphones that everybody carries around um i found it interesting that uh, our olympic athletes were told to leave their smartphones at home and only use burner phones because there is an app that is downloaded uh required to be downloaded when you get to china that basically gives the chinese communist party intelligence services a backdoor to download all the information off your phone and track you in real time and and sort of meld you into this social credit system that we've been talking about but take that view that dark vision of of what's happening in china right now and and spread it over the entire world that's what the reset uh is all about and that's why we have to 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 go back uh to the old normal and protect our privacy and protect our data uh otherwise we're going to be living under the same a kind of tyranny that we see in china today maybe not quite as overt but it will be a tyranny nonetheless Now one interesting aspect about China for sure but also creeping into the rest of the world China has a particular hatred for religion particularly Christianity and Catholicism they are refused parents are refused from taking children to church at all um and even if they do go they lose their social credit scores um and then of course it's it's even a regulated 
Catholic, so-called Catholic Church, patriotic Catholic Church. Tell us about that. This is another reason why I wanted to expand uh, and publish a new edition of Bully of Asia, because the Chinese Communist Party has been very clear about what the threats to its continued rule are, okay? There's a Central Committee directive dating back from 2013, when the new Red Emperor, by the way, Xi Jinping, took power in 2012-2013. And, and this new directive identifies seven threats to continued Chinese Communist Party rule. So they've laid out uh, what the dangers to their continued rule are. Very interesting to read those uh, threats. Uh, two of the threats, by the way, are uh, an accurate history and an accurate recounting of the ideology of the Chinese Communist Party. In other words, if you expose the lies that they tell about their own history and their own ideology, uh, the lies like, we're the vanguard of the proletariat, one day the government is going to wither away and everyone's going to live happily forever after, if you expose those lies, that's a threat to the continued rule of the Chinese Communist Party. They admit that. But what about the other five threats? Well, the other five threats are a description of the kind of... Uh, uh, freedom uh, in, that we enjoy in democracies, at least we hope we continue to enjoy. We've seen that eroded away over the last two years. And among the threats that they list are the free market, the idea that people should be free to buy and sell things without government control. Uh, they list the rule of law as a threat because the rule of law means that communist officials can't make up the law as they go along, change it from day to day to benefit themselves and expropriate more and more wealth from the people that they rule. And finally, the, the very interesting one is civil society. Civil society is considered to be a deadly threat by the Chinese Communist Party. What is civil society? Well, it's all the mediating institutions that protect the individual from the, the exactions of the, the state, from the exactions of those in power, uh, including, uh, included in civil society are things like the family and, and voluntary organizations. And of course, the biggest one of all is, is religious freedom, religious organizations, which stand between the state and the individual, and claim, of course, as Catholics and Christians do, that there are, uh, you can't just make up the laws you go along, that there are laws given by God, we call those the, the, the natural law, and they cannot be violated by any government, by any official, however powerful. They want to destroy all of those mediating institutions, particularly particularly the Catholic Church, because the Catholic Church, uh, they regard as not only a threat to their expropriation of the masses, of the work of the masses, it's, it also has foreign connections, John Henry, because it's part of a universal church, which goes beyond the borders of China. So they regard it as, as fundamentally um, betrayal of the loyalty that any, any Catholic is sort of betraying the loyalty that they owe to China and to the Chinese Communist Party. And that's why I think you're probably the best, and, and we'll end it here, but this, this topic really gets complicated. You yourself are a Catholic, so there's no animus against the Catholic Church. So explain to us, if you will, what is going on? Pope Francis, interestingly, came to power that same year that China started this persecution, 2013, they have made these overtures and acceptance of the patriotic Catholic Church in China in, in a way no Catholic could ever have imagined before this, particularly under JP2. Um, have you seen that? What do you make of that? 
the most generous interpretation of the Vatican's actions or inactions in this case, having to do with the persecution of the church in China, which is intensifying, is simple ignorance, that they, they simply don't know what's going on in China. I, I find that kind of hard to believe because uh, I myself went to the Vatican uh, a couple of years ago, sat down with uh, Cardinal Paroline and explained to him over the course of a long hour what was happening, what was coming down the pike uh, where religious persecution in China was concerned. I said, there's a new law uh, in China, which is causing the walls to close in on religious believers in China. They're out and out determined, the Chinese Communist Party is determined to destroy the underground church. Those bishops and priests in the underground church will either be forced to acknowledge the primacy of the Chinese Communist Party over the primacy, not just of the Pope, but of God himself, or they will be forced to, to leave active ministry altogether. And if they continue to preach and teach, they will be arrested, imprisoned, and, and worse. Uh, so I think the Vatican knew very clearly what was happening in China, uh, because I told the senior diplomat in, in, in the Vatican Foreign Service what was going to happen. Since then, everything that, that I told him has happened. The new religious regulations that have been put out um, I describe them as a way of hollowing out the Catholic Church, the patriot, so-called patriotic church in China, and converting it into an instrument to be used by the Chinese Communist Party to destroy itself. That's the ultimate goal of the Chinese Communist Party, is not to allow the church to operate within certain parameters. Because if the, those parameters existed, and if they were, even if they were strict, Catholics would find a way to, to propagate the faith, to live their faith, even under persecution. We always have. Yeah, I speak as a Catholic, right? But that's not the goal of the Chinese Communist Party. The Communist Party is intent upon using the structure of the patriotic church itself to extinguish that same church. That's why you have the leading bishops of the so-called patriotic church saying things like, um, we are loyal to the party first and then to God. Now that reverses the natural order of things, right? St. Thomas More said, I'm the, I'm the king's good servant, but I am God's first. You have to put uh, our Heavenly Father first in the order of things. Uh, otherwise, uh, you've abandoned, you know, the, 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 the principle of the faith. So that's what's being demanded of our brothers and sisters in China. And the other regulations like uh, you can't bring children to church. People are punished for trying to teach the faith to their own children. No one under 18 is allowed uh, within the walls of a church. There are surveillance cameras face recognition technology, and underground undercover agents in the church to make sure that rule is not violated. Uh, a priest cannot go out on the street and bless someone. Uh, he cannot go to someone's home and bless a home. He cannot hold a, a Bible study outside of the walls of the church. In fact, the only thing that's really permitted is, is the mass, the weekly mass. All other religious activities are under strict surveillance, or if not shut down entirely. So summer camps, uh, any educational Outreach by the church is forbidden. Orphanage that used to be run by the church, uh, they've all been shut down. Uh, and on a personal note, uh, you know, I helped to start a couple of orphanages in China 20 years ago. Uh, even though we complied with the Chinese laws, those orphanages have now been effectively shut down because by their very existence, they call into question the ability of the Chinese Communist Party to provide, to be all things to all people. You see, that's, that's part of civil society. And civil society, the Chinese Communist Party says, is a threat to continued Communist Party rule. So even, even good works like that done by Catholics have to be shut down in China 
uh, because it's a threat to the, the rule of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, this is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And I can believe, I believe as a Catholic, that Catholics in China would be better off if the Vatican, if the Pope, who is one of the strongest moral voices in the world, would speak openly and directly about the suffering of our co-religionists in China uh, instead of, well, it simply goes unmentioned. Um, we, can, we can talk apparently in the Vatican about human rights abuses in the United States, about every other country in the world, but China seems to be off limits. As someone who has studied China for n nearly half a century, you just re-released uh, a, new, a new release of your book, Bully of Asia. What is your statement to the heads of the Olympics for allowing the Olympics to go on in a country that is so rife with human rights abuses? First of all, China has an epidemic underway, and we don't know what the cause of it is. Uh, we've been told it, it may be a few cases of COVID. What variant? We don't know. Delta, Omicron, Omicron is pronounced, I'm a cold, by the way. Omicron, I'm a cold. Um, or is it some new variant that we don't know about? Is it something else? Is it a hemorrhagic a fever? Uh, we simply don't know. The only thing we can be sure of is that the Chinese Communist Party is not telling us the truth. Because why, why can we be sure of that? Because they never tell us the truth. John Henry 1958, we had the Asian flu. Where did it come from? It came from China. China didn't tell us it had a flu until it escaped to other Asian countries and we learned about it. Hong Kong flu in 1968, it came from China. China didn't tell us they had a raging epidemic of a new flu. It came to Hong Kong, then the world learned about it. If they have another pandemic in China, the only thing we can be sure of is they will not tell us about it until it has become a global pandemic. So there is a threat to public health. Uh, by holding the Olympics in Beijing should have been postponed, should have been moved to a venue that respects human rights and human freedom. Steve Mosher, you are the man to launch our coverage of the human rights abuses in China, which we're going to do every day during these Olympic Games so that it becomes more known, the absolute atrocities that are going on there and the what is unconscionable the decision to hold the Olympics Games there. Thank you so much, Stephen, and may God bless you. God bless you, John Henry. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are 
an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parlor, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.